Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. That's super sweet. Um, and, and they surprised me every single time we did it, because we did it three times. Which, which would have been weird, except it was a different cake every time. That was super exciting. So um, anyway, thank you. Thank you for that. And um, I, I appreciate the fact that we're calling this series Remember, because clearly I can't anymore. I'm now 50. Um, but no, I've been, I've been reflecting like you do. And when you hit a milestone like this, you got you to gotta spend a little time in reflection and thought and you begin to think. And um, just thinking about how incredibly blessed I have been over um, the last 50 years, what God has brought us through and what God is bringing us to. And um, it's a pleasure to share it with you. And so I'm really grateful. Thank you so much for being a part of Crosswalk and a part of what we get to do every single day. It's been really a uh, blessing and exciting. So thank you for that. We're obviously in this series called Remember. And um, the first week we talked about remembering sorrow and tragedy as we thought back on 9-11. And then last week we talked about remembering wisdom. Um, because that's something that's important for each of us to do all the time as much as we can is to remember wisdom and that helps us understand um, what, is, what is happening in the world and what we do and how we respond to it and react. And today we're going to talk about something that may seem a little bit, I don't know, on the nose, but it's remembering where you came from. You know, you hear that phrase, like if you Google that phrase, remember where you came from, it has a tendency to be connected to somebody who's been very successful, right? Somebody who's made millions of dollars or has become wildly famous or whatever, and they're always like, I remember where I came from. Um, so what, we, what we're asking you to do probably is not as exciting. I don't know. It's, it's just remembering kind of, I'm remembering where we came from. So I'll ask the question, right? Where did you come from? And I know that's too on the nose. I like to be a little more obtuse than that. But where did you come from? Um, because your origin story is important and your origin story shapes you a little bit. And we know that all origin stories are different. None of us has the same story as another person. In fact, if you grew up in the same home with a twin, chances are your origin story is just a little bit different. Right? It's not going to be exactly the same because you're going to interpret things differently. Where you came from, your ethnicity, the income in which you grew up, the language that you use, the geography, where you came from. All of these things have a significant impact on your origin story. And they also have an impact on who you are today. Every origin story is different, but every origin story is complicated as well. Because the truth is we're not simple people. No one is. We're a patchwork of everything that we come from, of everything that people poured into us, of everything that we let go, of everything that we chose to carry and chose to not carry, the good and the bad. This makes us all unique, and we all love hearing other people's origin story. Where'd you come from? Where'd you grow up? We, we, we have these conversations, and we love them. We never tire of them. We never tire of origin stories. And you want to know how I know this? Because... The media has put out the Batman origin story like 900 times at this point, right? We know that story so well. We know that when that billionaire couple, and explain to me why billionaires are leaving through the alley. That makes no sense to me. But we know that when they walk in that alley, you're like, no, do it. Haven't you seen the story before? We all have. 
right? So we love an origin story. We love to, you know, the character development. We love to know where people come from, and that's really important. So we ask this question again. What is your origin story? But the problem is we're asking this in church, so we probably need to add something more to it than just your origin story. We need to make it more particular to what we're doing in faith at this point. So let's ask this question. What is the origin story of your faith? Where did your faith come from? Were you born into it? And a lot of you were. A lot of you were born into a faithful Christian Seventh-day Adventist household. And you think that your origin story isn't all that interesting because it's just been around the whole time. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Maybe some of you married into it. Faith was not a big thing for you, but the person that you fell in love with did believe. And, and then their belief became your belief as you journeyed with them and grew with them. And that became really important to you then. Some of you sought it out because you weren't being able to be filled up with anything else that was going on in your life. And so you had this, as, they, as the philosophers say, this God-shaped hole, and you finally found God to fill it. Some of you maybe weren't looking for it. And like the story of the conversion of Peter, or sorry, the conversion of Paul, you were knocked off your proverbial horse and hit with the idea of faith and, and, and who Jesus is. But the origin story of your faith needs to be remembered. Because by remembering what brought us to faith, we remember that first love. And scripture actually speaks a lot about first love. And I want to delineate something. There's, there's puppy love and there's first love. But we have a tendency to think about puppy love and we think that it's not really true. But I know some of you love the puppies that you have unreasonably so. I know you do. In fact, we have two pastors here that love their puppies so much they're sermon illustrations. I don't know if you remember this. <laughs> puppy love's real love. I'm not talking about puppy love, though. I'm talking about your first love. And when Scripture speaks of your first love, what it's talking about is your first love of falling in love with Jesus Christ. And so we're going to study today from Revelation chapter 2. We're going to study the letter that's to go to the church in Ephesus. So if you have your Bibles and you want to open them up, we'll have it on the screen. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and it begins like this. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in the right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. We know who we're talking about here, right? Giving wisdom to the churches, giving advice, giving overall thought. And it goes like this, I know all the things you do. That's really good when you hear that from God. That's really frightening when you hear that from God. I know all the things you do. He says, I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance going well so far. I know you don't tolerate evil people. Great, you're protecting the community. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. So, so really, we're making sure that there's no heresy happening, making sure that people aren't taking too much authority. They're, they really are taking care of their church and doing the good work that they had been given to do. You have discovered that they are liars, it says, right? So this is good stuff. In fact, he just emphasized it even more there at the end. He says, you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. 
endurance. Man, this is all good stuff. And you know that not every bit of counsel to the churches is good stuff. Sometimes they just go right in to say what's wrong, but this has been good. So it starts off on a pretty positive vein. But then it does say, I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Now, in some translations, the New Living Translation says it this way. In some translation, it says you have lost your first love, right? You've forgotten the reason why you're doing all this good stuff. Because remember, they are doing good things. But you've forgotten the reason why you're doing those good things in the first place. This begs a second question, which is can you continue good work but without the primary reason for doing it? And I got to tell you, I think a lot of us live in this particular space, right? You got into whatever industry it is that you are into for absolutely all the right reasons. You felt called. God had, God had put something on your heart. And so you went into healthcare, or you went into law enforcement or emergency services, or you went into something that served other people, whatever it is. And that's just a short list. There's tons more, whatever it is. Even ministry. Why did you get into ministry to do this work? And so you continue to do this good work, but it's possible that you've lost your first love in the midst of it. And I got to tell you, I talk to a lot of people who are in that space. A lot of people who don't know why they're doing what they're doing. I got, a, I got a text message today saying essentially these same things. It's hard sometimes. So the Ephesians had been still continuing the good work, but they had lost the prime motivation for doing it. Which begs the question a little bit, like, is it still good work? I think it is, but it's still missing something. And my bet is some of you feel that way about the position you find yourself in right now. You're still doing the good work that you were called for. You just don't remember the real reasons why you were doing it. And I think this is probably true for some of your faith as well, for some of our faith as well. I still go to church. I still sing the songs. I still do the things. But man, I, sometimes it, I've lost that prime motivation. And then we're told to remember at least to look. It says, look how far you've fallen. That's a remembering kind of um, command. Look how far you've fallen. Look, remember where you were and see where you are. Turn back to me and do the work you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. It feels like this is conflicting. They're doing good work, but if they don't have the motivation to do like that prime motivation again, even though that good work's being done, the lampstand will be removed. We should probably take this seriously. And then this pericope, this little section, is finished off with, but this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans, just as I do, which almost feels weird. Like, for all that, at least you hate the same people I do. Right? Let me explain to you the reason for this. Right? The Nicolaitans were a group of people, Christians, who kind of accepted the grace of God and thought it was so expansive that they could literally do whatever they wanted to do because that would kind of test the boundaries of grace. Right? It's said that they live with unrestrained indulgence. So at least they were on the same line at this point. But then it's finished up completely like this. It says, anyone with ears to hear, 
must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give you, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. So that's pretty good. There's a benefit to remembering where you came from, to remembering your first love and the prime mover of your faith. But when we remember, we have to remember the good and the bad. Remember, we're talking about remembering our origin story of faith, remembering that conversion experience that you went to, remembering it, why you fell in love with Jesus in the first place or how you fell in love with Jesus in the first place. And remembering that also means that we need to remember the sin that we started in. And, and we can say, well, why should I remember the sin? Jesus doesn't remember. Last week, I think it was last week, I said the only thing that Jesus doesn't remember is your sin. But why should we remember our sin? I'm not saying to remember your sin. I'm remembering the state of sin that you were born into, the state of sin that you were saved from. Because the truth is, we were all saved from something. And we have a tendency to forget that. And while we were all saved from sin, kind of with the big S, sin... We understand that sin takes many different forms and shapes and feelings in our lives. Some of you were saved from abusive relationships and you didn't have the strength or the power to get out of them until you met Jesus and you found your self-worth in the cross. Some of you were living lives that were completely covered in addiction and it wasn't until you found Jesus that you had the strength to be able to move forward from that. Some of us were saved simply from, from bad decisions, you know, like habitually making bad decisions because we didn't understand the wisdom of the ancients that we get through Scripture. And when you, when you found that and you found the love of Jesus Christ, you began to realize, I can live differently. I don't have to make those decisions. Some of us were saved from just unhealthy living. Some of us were saved from overwhelming senses of anger that we lived with in our hearts. Evil at times we've been saved from malice, hatred, some of us just ugliness of character. Some of us lived lives of deceit and didn't seem to have a problem with it. You were all saved from something. And it does us well to remember what it was that we were saved from so that we can remember what we were saved for. But I do need to ask a question. When you were saved from this, when God emptied out that malice in your heart, when God emptied out that anger that you carry around with you, when God emptied that out, what did God put in its place? When you found that first love, what did God put and place in your heart? Because God never leaves us empty when we are being asked to fill up, be filled up. If we are vessels, what did God fill you up with? When the anger left, what did God put in its place? Hopefully it's peace, right? Hopefully it's wisdom, it's joy, it's compassion, it's empathy. Hopefully it's, it's the greater fruits that we've been given, steadfastness, that sort of thing. We've got lists of these rotten fruits in Scripture, but we also have a list of these beautiful and abundant fruits. And those are the things that fill your life up when you allow yourself to be emptied of those other things and let God inhabit your heart and the Holy Spirit inhabit your heart. But here's the problem. I'm going to push the, the vessel metaphor a little further. When you are filled up from the source and your vessel's full, man, it's amazing. But if you forget where the source is, 
Everything that you were filled up with begins to recede because we're humans and we forget and we make bad decisions and we don't focus and that's what happens. By forgetting our first love, we are forgetting the source of our renewal, the source of our revival, the source of our hope, and this is not good. We dry up, we empty out, and then we're filled up again by those things that had filled us up in the first place that we needed to be saved from. That anger, that malice, that frustration, that abuse, that addiction. We fill ourselves back up with those things because we have allowed ourselves to be emptied up. This is why we remember our first love. Now listen, how does remembering where we are from protect us from losing our first love? And it's a good question. I can answer it this way. Do you have any photo albums? When we were moving into the house we had purchased a few months ago at my parents' house, and um, they, they had left everything in that. As you know, my dad passed away a few years ago, and my mom moved into a different place, and, and she just left everything. And so we were moving our house in to a house that was kind of full, and so we were going through stuff, and we were cleaning the garage. And, man, I'm cleaning my family house's garage, and we came across, you open up a cabinet, and there's... It felt like a thousand photo albums. Those of you who are too young, you're like, it's the phone. What are you talking about? A photo album. Yeah, we used to print out photos and put them in albums with these weird sticky sheets of paper, which are still weird to me. And after 30 years, by the way, they do some strange things to your photos. Anyway, we're looking at these things, and I, I, was looking, I was looking at my childhood. I was looking at my parents' childhood. In fact, we found a photo album from my, with my dad in a picture standing at attention in his Boy Scout uniform. He must have been seven years old from 1949. And it was awesome. And I turned over the, the, the photo and it said, Buzzy Gillespie. And I don't know who Buzzy Gillespie is. So I did some investigation. Um, which we, we, the, the, the total of my investigation was calling my mom. Um, and I was like, hey, why... Why, who's Buzzy Gillespie? And they're like, oh, she's like, oh, it's your dad. I was like, why, who calls, no one calls my dad. You, it's not Dr. Buzzy Gillespie. Like, it doesn't work that way. And they said, well, keep looking. You'll see a report card. And sure enough, on the report card, she called him Buzzy because he never stopped talking. <laughs> He's just Buzzy, Buzzy, Buzzy. And so that he became Buzzy Gillespie. And it was interesting because later on I was looking through other photo albums and other memorabilia and I found, I found, I found my report cards <laughs> in which the teacher was much less creative but was essentially said he would never shut up. <laughs> which was fascinating because as we were undoing our photo albums and our memorabilia to put back into the garage, I found my children's photo albums. And their teachers were much kinder but essentially said the same thing, which is, why don't Gillespie's ever stop talking? So genetics works. But listen, the photo, this is what would happen. I would find a photo album, and sure enough, I would, like, you know, we're working. My wife's working really hard. I'm working really hard. And I would sit down, and I would open up that photo album, and, like, I'd just get lost in it. Right? 360-degree sensory thing. Like, I'm back you know, at Lake Havasu when I'm nine years old in my dad's old weird gold lame boat. Don't ask. It's, it's really hard to explain. Um, you know, my wife would be like, hey, come on, let's go. Let's go. And I was like, no, I need to remember this. I got to think about this. 
And like, I'm the kind of person, if I'm cleaning a garage, I'll leave this stuff out on the yard for like three or four days. I don't care. Because honestly, if someone comes and gets it, I don't have to worry about it anymore. My wife is not of that same nature, so she wants to put it all back inside. Anyway, what I realize is that remembering is a process that takes time. It's one of the ways that we are guarded against forgetting. We actively, intentionally remember what Jesus has done for us, and we put ourselves back in that place. Even though it's sometimes painful, the outcome is amazing because it means that we were saved. And also, there'd be times where I'd be looking at these photo albums, and my wife would be talking to me, and I wouldn't even hear her because remembering takes focus. It takes concentration to remember correctly. If you move through it too quick with too little focus, you actually remember incorrectly. And in fact, that happens to me every once in a while. Sometimes I'll tell a story here at church, and I'll get home, and my kids will be like, that's not how that happened. And I'm like, no, shh. First of all, I say, shh, don't tell anyone. And then I say, what? Explain. And they're like, you're not remembering that correctly. And then we'll go through it, and we remember slowly and thoughtfully, and we get all that. And I think, oh, I'm a huge liar to my congregation. So I do have guilt, just so you know. But no, remembering takes focus. Remembering your origin story of faith takes focus. What was going on? What was happening in your life? And remembering takes desire, right? You have to desire to go back there, to go back to that place. Now, I want to I put a little caveat here. Some of you were saved from some pretty horrific things, abuse and addiction, and that's not a place you want to put your head back into. I get that. And my hope is, if that's something that you've dealt with, I mean... There's lots of things that I hope that if you've dealt with, you can go make sure that you connect with a professional and they help walk you through it because being healed and being healing and being, being healed and going through a healing process are sometimes happening concurrently. They happen at the same time. So I want to make sure that if going back to that is really hard for you, that you make sure you do that thoughtfully with a professional who can help walk you through that. I just want to make sure you understand that. But I do think it's important that we remember who we are and what Jesus has done for us. And again, what we're saved from. And there's an outcome to remembering your faith story, just so you know. And it's something that I've seen expressed in this church again and again, and it's really beautiful to me. When we go back and we put ourselves back into our origin story of faith and we, and we remember our conversion and how God changed us. And I got to tell you, Every single one of you has an incredible origin story of your faith, even if you grew up in church. But there's an outcome when you remember it, and it's that you tell it. Because when you fall in love for the first time, you cannot keep your mouth shut. True with first love, true with puppy love. You can't keep your mouth shut. You want to talk about it. And when you are remembering your conversion, you begin to tell people about it. And people need to hear your story. Do you know that this church grows not because of the sermons that we preach? This church grows because of the sermons that you preach with your life and the story that you tell as you remember your origin story and tell other people. I rarely baptize someone or do Bible studies with someone, I think, Mike, you would agree with me on this. Rarely was it, well, I was just sitting in your church and it hit me because of what you said. The story I get usually starts like this. I was taking my trash out one Saturday morning and I looked at my neighbor and he or she was all dressed up. 
And so rather than take my trash can back, I was like, hey, what are you doing? And they're like, oh, I'm going to church. Why are you going to church? It's Saturday. Well, because I've been saved by Jesus. Wait a second. I didn't know that. You've been my neighbor. I don't know who I am anymore. I just got confused on that story. I'm not going to point anymore. (laughs) But the person gives them their testimony and that's why they come to church and that's why they become interested and that's how it's not because i preached a great sermon if that were if that was it like you know every great preacher would have full churches and everything would be great that's not how it works how it works is that there are certain people that need to hear your origin story even if you don't think it's very exciting it might be exactly what god ordained and anointed you to say to them at that perfect time so you got to go back and you got to remember it because people connect with it. It's one of the other outcomes. People connect with it, and, it, and it, 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 it's just amazing to them. But if you keep it to yourself, if you don't go back there, if you don't re-experience that and find that first love again, you're probably not gonna tell it, and they're probably not gonna be able to connect with it. And if that's the case, then their lives won't be changed, but that's one of the outcomes of you remembering your origin of faith story. Lives will be changed, not just your life, other people's lives as well. What an incredible outcome for just taking some time to remember what it is that Jesus Christ has done for you. I go back to the final verse of that text. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit to understand what he is saying to the churches. This is the phrase. To everyone who is victorious, Right? I don't know about you, but when I see the word victorious, I, I immediately f- think about how, like, I'm not often victorious. But you know the victory that they're talking about in this particular s- piece? The victory that they're talking about is remembering. Look to where you have fallen. Lean into that. Right? The victory in this one's not that hard. Remember what Jesus has done for you. And think about what Jesus can do with you. I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. The reason why I said I've been so impressed with this church is that over the years, you've taken us very seriously when we said, we want you to tell your story to the people around you. And our church has grown. And I even had a conversation with one of our church officials one time who said, it's just, we don't understand how your church is growing. What are you doing? And I was like, don't you understand that churches don't grow because we get really good at professionally doing church. Churches grow because the heart of the people who sit in the pews is drawn back to when they are converted, to when they were converted, to when they they fell in love with Jesus for the first time. And then we just ask them to go and be honest about that. Tell that story. It doesn't have to be theological. It doesn't have to answer everybody's questions. I mean, it doesn't have to quote scripture. You just have to share what God has done for you and where God has brought you. And that's why the church has grown. And it's funny because sometimes I get the feeling that people are like, nah, it's not that simple. I can tell you this in my almost 50 years of life. Yes, it is. 
They'll have questions, sure. We can answer those questions. That's what we do. But to get them in the door means that you shared your heart with them. And what you did is said this, I was here in this sin and it felt like there was no way out. And then someone told me their story and I wondered if Jesus would work that same way in my life. So I got interested. And then I met Jesus for real. And my life changed. And those desires that I had, while I still fight with them, they're not the same as they were because I know what victory means. And so now I'm living a different kind of life. But sometimes I gotta go back there and think about where I was from. That's how simple it is. So this is my wish for you, that when you spend some time remembering, you remember what Christ saved you from, but you also remember what Christ is saving you for, because that's when things get exciting. Let's bow our heads. Lord of grace, God, thank you so much. I am so grateful for everything that you have brought me from. And I'm looking forward to what it is you're preparing me for. And Lord, in, the, in this moment, I just want to thank you. And I want to ask that you place it on every person's heart here to remember where they came from and how they met you. And Lord, fill them with a passion that they haven't had maybe in a while. Fill them with a, a spirit of momentum where, where they want to go and they want to share and they want to speak and they want to remember with other people so that your kingdom will continue to grow well beyond these walls. Because, Lord, we need you now more than ever with the pain and the suffering, with the hurt and the loss. We need your presence to be powerful in this world. And if you are choosing us to be the vessels in which it can be seen, we're going to honor that. We're going to continue to do that good work that you started in us long ago. We pray this in your, your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Stand and worship with us one more time.